I want to share with you this morning, if you're wondering why I've got two sticks with me, well, I want to speak a message called breaking the two sticks mentality. Okay, breaking the two sticks mentality. <clears throat> if you are here this morning and you struggle to believe for the provision of God, for the blessing of God, if you struggle to know a God that is generous and wants to give in abundance beyond all that we could ask or think, then what I want to share with you this morning will probably help you enormously. Because it, within the valleys, especially, and I'm a valleys boy, I grew up in Mountain Ash. Um, I've lived here all my life. I'm, I'm a valleys boy through and through. But one thing I've learned is that we have a mindset sometimes of poverty rather than abundance. We have a mindset of, oh, that'll do rather than there is more. We accept second best because we think perhaps that's the best we're going to have. And God is saying, no, 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 I have so much more for you. I have so much more I want to give you and bless you that you cannot imagine. And so sometimes we think like that. And it's a mindset that leads to poverty, spiritual poverty and deficiency and lack. And God wants to break that in every one of us this morning. Because whether you believe it or not, you are rich in God. It says, he who was rich became poor, that we who are poor might become rich. And it's not with material things or money or things of this world, but we are rich in grace and hope and faith. We are rich in things that this world cannot take from us. We are rich in things that when you lie on your deathbed, when you come to the end of your life, are really going to matter to you. They really are. Your money won't matter. Your big house won't matter. Your nice car won't matter. But when you're lying there looking at eternity, grace, hope, love, faith, salvation, they are things going to keep you in peace as you pass from this life into eternity. And we are rich in those things this morning. We are rich in those things. And God wants us to know that. David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. Not everything I want, but everything I need. One pastor said, if I had everything I wanted, I would be married seven times. <laughs> it's true, isn't it? He wanted to marry every girl he met. And so God is gracious and good to us because he saves us from ourselves. But David said, I have everything I need. And God wants to do that for us. So turn your Bibles to 1 Kings 17. Um, it's a really well-known story about the widow of Zarephath. 1 Kings 17. This comes up on the screen behind me as well if you haven't got a Bible. It says, Elijah from Tishbe, who was one of the settlers in Gilead, said to Hayab, as surely as the Lord lives, Israel's God, the one I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain these years unless I say so. Then the, Lord, the word of the Lord came to Elijah, go from here and turn east, hide by the Kerith brook that faces the Jordan River. You can drink from the brook. I've also ordered the ravens to provide for you there. So Elijah went and did just what the Lord said. He stayed by the Kerith brook that faced the Jordan River. The ravens brought bread and meat in the mornings and evenings, and he drank from the Kerith brook. After a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So the word of the Lord came to Elijah again, and he said, Get up and go to Zarephath near Sidon and stay there. I have ordered a widow there to take care of you. Elijah left and went to Zarephath. As he came to the town gate, he saw a widow collecting sticks. He called out to her, Please get a little water for me in this cup so I can drink. She went to get some water. Then he said to her, please get me a piece of bread. And this is the verse I want you to listen to. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any food, only a handful of flour in a jar and a bit of oil in a bottle. Look at me. What does she say? I'm collecting two sticks. Everyone say two sticks. 
I'm collecting two sticks. We're going all American this morning. I'm collecting two sticks so that I can make some food for myself and my son. We'll eat the last of the food and then die. She's a person you want to have at a party, isn't she? I'll cheer you up one day when it's grey and dreary and raining. I'm making a meal and then I'm going to die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go and do what you said. Only make a little loaf of bread for me first. Then bring it to me. You can make some, something for yourself and your son after that. For this is what Israel's God, the Lord, says. The jar of flour won't decrease and the bottle of oil won't run out until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. The widow went and did what Elijah said. So the widow, Elijah, and the widow's household ate for many days. The jar of flour didn't decrease, nor did the bottle of oil run out, just as the Lord spoke through Elijah. And everybody said, Amen. Breaking the two sticks mentality. You know, these sticks that I have this morning, they're the original sticks from this story. And so I brought them with me. All right. <laughs> we'll all have to come to the park to get these. Um, so these sticks, they can represent doubt. They can represent discouragement. They can represent fear, hopelessness, all of these kind of things that we experience in life. That's what they were to this widow. I'm collecting two sticks, preparing a meal, very small meal, then we're going to die because there's a famine in the land. I have no more food. And so this is a funeral preparation. This is a meal, the, the last meal I'm going to eat before we lose our lives. That was her thinking. And that's what she was doing. Because as a person thinks in their heart, so are they. And so she was collecting this ready in a sense of hopelessness, discouragement. She had given up and she thought this was the end. But it never is with God. There's always so much more to the story. And so I want to encourage you this morning. As we gather together as the people of God, you may feel like the widow. You may feel in a place of hopelessness, discouragement. And the reality could display that. Because this, this lady was a widow. That means she was destined to a life of poverty. She was grieving the loss of her husband. And she had to provide for her son. Now, there was no benefit system in those days. There was no NHS. There was no Scottish widows. There was nothing for her to, to rely on. She didn't inherit her husband's pension. Nothing. She was destined to a life of hardship and poverty. And upon that also was the fact that there was a famine that Elijah had pronounced because of Israel and the, the idolatry that they were committing at that time. And so the rain was held back as well. And so everything in the natural here looked hopeless. But yet God was at work. And God was doing something in that place. And I want to say to you this morning, what looks hopeless from the natural, God is still doing something in the supernatural. And we have to see it. See, the Bible says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Do you not perceive it? And the answer is sometimes, no, I didn't see that coming. How many of you said that? Well, I didn't see that coming. But God opened our eyes that we not only see what's going on around us, but we see the supernatural. That we'd be like Elisha's servant, open his eyes that he would see that it is not only who's against us, but who is for us. That the enemy may be on the hills ready to come and uh, take us as slaves, but behind them are the armies and the angels of God. Open our eyes so that we can see. And I'm praying this morning that God will do that in this place. Now, Elijah had been supernaturally provided for. He'd pronounced three and a half years of famine and drought. And then God says, go to the Kareth brook 
and I will provide for you there. And it's amazing, really. He has ravens to bring in food, which by nature ravens don't share. They, 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 they're scavengers. Um, they, 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 by nature, they're selfish. They, they keep what they have for themselves. So for them to bring food and give it up is against nature, really. But that's how, who God is. He, he provided for him. And from this brook, he provided water, sustenance, provision as he sat there. But what I'm interested in is the fact in verse 7, it says, after a while, the brook dried up. Did you notice that? After a while, the brook dried up. And I thought to myself, well, God, you're a God of provision. We've just talked about it in Psalm 23. We know the scripture that says God will supply all my needs from his riches in glory. Right throughout the Old and the New Testament, you talk about abundance leading us into a spacious place. You talk about um, the promised land flowing with milk and honey. We know you're a generous God. You're a good God. And you led Elijah to a place of provision, but then it dried up. And when you read it, you think, I, I, I don't get it. What, what, what happened? And you may be saying that to yourself, Lord, I was in a place that was blessing. They were in a place where you were providing, where I was experiencing the goodness of God. But then suddenly it dried up. What happened? But God is still good when life is bad. God is still faithful when we are unfaithful. We still serve the God who loves us and wants to provide for us. And I don't know if this applies to your situation, but I want you to consider this morning why it dried up for Elijah. What the reason was behind that. And it is simply this, that the blessings and provision of God dry up when it's time to move on. See, the provision was at Kareth. But then after about a year or so, approximately, it dried up because there was no rain. It wasn't because Elijah had sinned or got it wrong or because God didn't love him anymore. Just simply because it was time to move on. Because the next verse says, the word of the Lord came to Elijah again and said, get up and go. And because I'm very smart, I realize that means he needs to move on. I'm clever like that. That's why I get asked to speak. <laughs> But um, get up and go. And I've worked out this, and something that I've found in ministry and in life is this, that when we stay by a place too long where God has moved on, the blessing dries up. The blessing dries up. When we stay at a place too long where God used to provide, used to bless, used to anoint, used to do great things, we thank God for it. But when we stay there and refuse to leave, when God is saying, get up and go, we're no longer sitting by a river, we're sitting by a riverbed. We're no longer sitting by a fruitful place, we're sitting by a barren place where God is no longer. But so many people do that. So many churches I've been to do that. They have, they have, they have built a house where God has told them to pitch a tent. He never told them to settle there. He just told them this is a stopping place. This is a waiting place. This is a staying place. I'm going to provide you there, but don't stop because this is not your final place. And for us as a church in commandment, I'm constantly encouraging our people, let's not stop, let's keep moving, let's keep moving on in what God wants us to do. Because Kerith was a great place, but the blessing is now in Zarephath. It's no longer here anymore. It's dried up. But sometimes we sit there and we continue to want God to provide like he used to. We want God to bring the rain like he used to. We want the river to flow, the brook to flow. We want that same provision because it was comfortable. It was what we were used to. We enjoyed it. 
We knew the, the familiarity of it. We had a routine. We knew twice a day birds were going to come and feed us. The, the river was constantly flowing. And so it, it became almost routine, going through the motions. And then God suddenly says, okay, time for change. Time for change. The one word that brings fear to everybody in church. We've got to change. And I want to encourage you. We're coming to the end of 2021. We're going into 2022. And I want to encourage you, church. And I, I want to encourage you, leaders. And encourage Luke as the pastor. As you go into 2022, move on. Wherever God leads you. Don't follow other churches, other fads, other ministries, other programs. But move on as the Spirit leads you. The word of the Lord came to Elijah. Not another pastor or another program, but the word of the Lord. And we need to have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. God, what are you saying to me in my context? What are you saying to me with my demographic, with my people, in my church? Am I staying too long a terror? Do I need to move on? We have to listen to what God is saying. But more importantly, we have to be obedient and move on. And it'll be uncomfortable and it'll take effort and energy. It'll take vision and insight. It'll take trust. You're going to have to trust your leadership, your pastor. Even when you don't agree with him, even when you don't like what he's saying, you're going to have to trust. And I'm going to show you in a moment that where God was leading Elijah, it wasn't a place he wanted to go. But it was a place he was meant to be. And so he had to obey. The word of the Lord came to Elijah, go to Zarephath, to a widow there who I'm going to provide for you. And this widow will be a source of encouragement, a source of provision. Zarephath was a Gentile land. Now Elijah was running from Ahab and Jezebel because they were wicked. And he, they wanted the prophets of God dead. So God leads him to a land where the person who reigned there was Jezebel's father. It was a place where Jezebel grew up. And it was a place where Baal worship was birthed. Isn't that fun? See, we don't get this because it means nothing to us. But as Elijah was sitting by that brook and it started to dry up, the word of the Lord came to him. And Elijah must have thought, praise God, the word of the Lord has come. More provision. What, what do you want me to do, Lord? Is it another brook? Is it another river? Where do you want me to go? And God says, Zarephath. And he goes, sorry? He goes, Zarephath. He goes, oh, I rebuke that. That's the devil. That's what we do, because it's not what we like. Because it's no, no, I did see Zarephath. He goes, but, but God, I'm running from a woman who was born there, whose father still lives there, who still reigns and rules there. That's the place of Baal worship, and I've just pronounced judgment on your people because of it. Are you sure? Yeah, I'm sure. And you want me to go to a widow? Yeah. She's not going to have much. And God is thinking, yeah, I know. I know what widows are. And she's he's thinking, so I'm going to a Gentile land, to a Gentile woman, where there is pagan worship, to a person who has very little who's going to provide for me. This, this makes sense. This is a plan. How many of you know the things of God don't always make sense, but from a natural perspective? But see, what God is doing is showing to Elijah, you cannot put me in a box. You cannot um, have me all figured out, even when we think he does. He, he does things in the most unlikely ways, in the most unconventional ways. He really meant it in Isaiah 55 when he says, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not yours. And so he takes him to this place that would have been really, really difficult for Elijah to do, to go to. 
but he obeyed and went to Zarephath. He obeyed and went, even though everything in him wanted to probably stay. It wasn't a land he would have been comfortable in. It wasn't a place he would have wanted to go to, but the word of the Lord came. And I want to encourage you as a church, when you go on a journey, there will be difficult times. There will be places you don't want to go. There will be journeys and seasons that will be hard for you to accept. But if the word of the Lord has come and he has spoken this to the church and he has called you to move out and move on, you have to go. Because if you stay, you will stay in a place of death. You will stay in a place of barrenness. You have to move out. Even if it's unlikely and conventional, it doesn't make sense. I want to say it doesn't matter. If God is in it, he will use it, bless it, provide through it, and it will make sense on the other side. It will make sense. And we have to do that. We have to. I believe the word that God gave us as a church was move out or miss out. Move out or miss out. You can stay by Kerith if you want, but the river is not going to flow. The blessing, the provision is not going to be there. Zarephath is where I am now. And when I visit some churches, they say to me, and they, they, they're really good churches, very small churches, but they're dying. But the people there are so lovely. They pray, they love God, they've got their Bibles, they're faithful, they've been serving God 40, 50 years. And I talk to them and they say, oh, you know, we, we do want to grow. We want, to, we want this church to become alive again. There used to be 100 people, yet now we're down to like 10 people on a Sunday. But we want to grow, but it is so hard, so difficult. But the problem is, is what, they, what they're trying to do will never work because they are doing exactly the opposite of what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you want new wine, you have to have new wineskins. But what they're trying to do is pour new wine into old wineskins. Because what they say to me is, we want growth, but we want to stay exactly as we are. We want to do the things that we're doing now. It doesn't work, but it's what we like, and we want God to bless it and use it, and it's not happening. So rather than change, they stay the same and hope something happens. And it's never going to. Well, something will happen. Sadly, they will eventually die and close. That's the truth of it. And we don't like talking about these things. We don't like saying anything. And that's not me judging other churches. The same could happen to my church. But we have to move on. Because God is sovereign. He's on the move. He's not static. He doesn't stand still. He's always up to something. He's always doing something. And we have to have the discernment especially in these last days of discernment, to see where God is and what he's doing, what he's anointing and what he's blessing. It's not, Lord, I'm going to do this, bless me. It's, Lord, what are you doing that you are blessing that I need to follow after? That's what we need to say. Lord, where are you blessing that I need to go? What are you doing that I need to follow? Jesus said, follow me. He didn't say, I'll follow you. He said, follow me, I'll lead you beside the still waters. I'll lead you in green pastures. I'll provide for you, but we have to follow the sheep without a shepherd is in a very dangerous place. For that sheep to be provided for, looked after, protected, it needs to stay close. And we have to do the same. And so he gets to Zarephath. And he meets this widow. And she, she has nothing. But it's his source of provision. Now I want to show you two more things and I'm going to wrap up in a moment. But I think this is important. Kerath means cutting or cutting off. And Zarephath means a place of refining. And so when you think, why did God call him to this place of all places? Because God could have provided for Elijah anywhere, in any place, through any person. Why this person? Why this place that was so difficult for him? It was because God was working on his character. 
Because God's ultimate goal is not your happiness, but your holiness. See, we have a church full of people who just want to be happy. But we used to have churches full of people who wanted to be holy. And our holiness and our purity leads to our joy and our happiness in the Lord. But we've got it the other way around. We put the cart before the horse. We want to be happy. And as long as Luke keeps me happy, I'll stay. That's never going to work. As long as Pastor Dale keeps me happy, I'll stay. And to that, I say to my church, bye-bye. It was nice knowing you. Because I'm never going to keep you happy. You're never going to always like me. I'm not always a nice guy. But holiness, God working in us, cutting away, pruning, taking us to a place where he refines us. God working in us. And I meet so many people who want God to work through them. But they're not ready because God hasn't worked in them. The vessel has to be prepared for God to use. And the capacity and the stretching and the working of God in that person so that he can work through them. God has a plan and a purpose for everyone. I believe that. And he wants to use you for his glory. But there has to be a preparation. And even in this story, God was working on Elijah from a place of cutting away to a place of refining. God was leading him and doing a work in his life. What about you this morning? Are you in a difficult place? Not because God wants to hurt you, but because God wants to work in you and change you. Is God trying to cut away something? Is he leading you to Zarephath, a difficult place? Because he wants to confront something that needs to be dealt with. What is God doing in your life? So he gets to the brook of Zarephath and the widow replies to him. He says, can I have some water? She says, yeah, I can get you some water. He says, can I have some cake or some bread? She says, I don't really have any. I have a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. It's just a small meal, not even enough for me and my son, but I'm going to make it. I'm going to collect two sticks. I'm going to make it. We're going to eat together, say our goodbyes and die. He says, well, before you do, I like that. I would have counseled and said, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Put your arm around that pre-COVID. It's okay, lovely. It's okay. It's going to be okay. Come into the office. Come and sit down. Have a cup of tea. Don't be so negative. He says, all right, before you do that, before you, you go and build your fire and die, will you just get me a glass of water and bring me some bread? It's, it sounds dismissive, doesn't it? It sounds callous <clears throat> in a way, but it wasn't because he, he knew what God was doing. He says, do this for me first. And the amazing thing about it was she did it. She did it. I wouldn't have. I would have said, you've got to be kidding. Get your own bread. Get your own water. There's not enough for me and my son, and you want me to give it to you first. You know, you've got to put yourself in the story. How would you respond to that? And you say, oh, but he's the man of God. She didn't care. She lived in a pagan land. She didn't worship the God of Israel. She didn't recognize the prophets of God. He was a stranger to her. But yet she responded. I do think God knows what he's doing. Really do. And so she, she gave him the little that she had. And because of her faithfulness, he said, this is what the word of the Lord says to you. Your oil won't dry out and your flour won't run out. But the little you have will be enough, not just for you and your son and for me. It'll be enough for weeks, months and years. Some commentators say they were about a year or so into the famine. So yeah, they had at least perhaps two years plus left. 
And God provided through that widow and through that little oil and that little flower for another two years at least. Because every time she went to that jar, the flower was still there. Every time she went for that oil, the oil was still there. She would use it, make a meal, go back, and it was still there, and it was still there. It never decreased. It never ran out. Because our God is Jehovah Jireh. He is our provider. And he sustains us and he keeps us in the middle of famine and poverty and lack. He keeps us and blesses us through unusual means, through supernatural means. And we need the miracles of God today. We need the supernatural today. And we need to believe for that. But the miracle was, is she obeyed and she gave what she had so that God could bless her and give her more. And I want to encourage you this morning. Break the two sticks mentality and give what you've got. Sow it into the kingdom of God and allow God to use it for his glory. You may only have a little talent, but it's enough. You might only have a little bit of confidence, but it's enough. You might only have a little bit of ability, but it's enough. The little that we have when we give to God becomes more than enough. More than enough. Moses only had a rod. You know, God said to him, what do you have in your hand? Just a stick. He says, okay, I'll do. He goes to David, what have you got? He goes, I've got a sling. He goes, okay, I'll do. Go and get five stones. One for Goliath and four in case his brothers turn up. Go and get some stones. He says to Gideon, how many men have you got? He said, I've got loads. And he goes, okay, let's put the lad down because that's too many. So he went to lay down to 300. I worked out, I think it was 10,000 to one or something he had to fight. That's good odds, isn't it? In the New Testament, you've got Jesus, 5,000 people, and he turns to Simon and says, feed them. He said, you've got to be kidding. I'll have to work all month to feed that many. He goes, well, what have you got? He goes, well, there's a little boy here with tuna sandwiches. Any good? He goes, okay. Give me the Tupperware box. He's looking at me serious, like, was it Tupperware in the Bible? <laughs> give me the box. See, this, it's not difficult, guys. It really isn't. If we give what we have, it becomes more than enough. We don't have to wait for it to be more than enough before we give what we've got. I've worked that out. I left school with no education. The teachers were great. It was just I was lazy. I had no GCSEs, no A-levels, no O-levels, no spirit levels, nothing. I, had, I didn't have anything. I left school. And then God called me to preach. And God called me to be a pastor. And then I had to do exams and modules. And I said to Helen, help. I did it to my wife. I said, help, how do I write, how do I write an essay? Didn't know. She had to sit down with me and say, this is how you do an essay. She taught me to preach. She wrote my first sermon for me. So I didn't know how to set out my notes. I knew what I wanted to say. I just didn't know how to put it out. I know you're shocked because I come over very eloquent and very clever, but I, I didn't. I didn't have any of that. And, but I, I knew God had called me. So I said, I'll give you the little that I've got. It's not much. I, I don't bring much to the table. I really don't. But it's not about me. It's not about me, guys. If you've come here to hear me this morning, I'm very disappointed to you. Because I can't do much for you. But if you've come to hear what God is saying and apply that, then anything can happen this morning. You're wide open to God. And, and Luke was very kind earlier saying some of the things that I serve and, and I do. And I have no idea how I got there. No one can tell me why I serve on the AOG leadership team. No one. A guy, Brian, um, 
Elliot, Brian Elliot turned up and said, can we have coffee? I said, yeah, I'll have coffee with him. Took me for coffee. He said, would you like to become a hub leader? I was like, okay. I said, right, okay. He said, I said, who recommended me? He said, I have no idea. I said, okay, that's, that's odd. This is the new AOG way of doing things, I suppose. Just pulling someone blindly out of a crowd and, and use them. But, but he said, no, no. He said, he said Denise Cagenda on Wales Director sent me a list of people and you were on it. I said, where did she get it from? He said, I don't know. I said, but Denise don't know me. He said, I know. I said, well, how was I on it? He said, I don't know. <laughs> I said, okay. Okay. And then after that, then I, I um, Denise phoned me up and said, will you become the zone leader instead and hand over the, the hub? And by the way, have we met? I said, well, we have, but I'm not very memorable. So we met a couple of times. You just don't remember me. And she said, okay. And so then I became the zone leader. But nobody knows me. Nobody knows who I am, what I've done, what I'm doing. But for some reason, it happened. And so I, I have the privilege of serving that. But I've always lived by the principle from Proverbs, where it says that a man's gifting will make room for him, bring him before great men. I, I am got to try and impress people. I am going to try and join the dots. I am going to network. I hate that word. Let's go networking. I haven't got to do all that, guys. Really not interested in all of that. God will take me where he wants me. He'll place me where he wants me. You know, I'm already a child of God. That's more than I could have ever asked for. And at the end of the day, that's more important. Because AUG will come and go. Mission things will come and go. I won't be a pastor forever. But I will always be a child of God. Always be a child of God. And that's the most exciting thing of all. And so as I bring this to a close this morning, let's not live in a place of lack and deficiency and poverty. Let's remember that God has blessed us abundantly. What does Romans 5.17 say? Let me just leave this verse with you. For if by the trespass of one man, death reigned through that one, how much more, listen to this, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign what? in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. The Passion Translation talks about us being in the grip of grace and we shall reign continuously as kings in this life and the next. God wants us to live up to who he's called us to be. He wants us to know who we are and to live from that. Our purpose is born out of our identity. Who we are gives birth to what we do and how we live. And there are so many Christians who are living a pauper's life and God has called them to be priests and kings and to walk with him in the blessing and abundance of God. We're not collecting two sticks this morning to build a fire and then give up. We are collecting many sticks for many days, for many generations, because we're going to provide on and on and on and on. And this church, for generations, our church is born out of this church. Ken and Janet came from this church. This church has a great legacy and lineage. Look how far it goes back. But you know what's better? Look how far forward it's going to go. It's going to keep going from one generation to another. God is going to bless as Luke comes. And then as he passes it on eventually in another 50 years, he'll bless. He's only 12. So he'll pass it on. And generationally and generationally, that's what we believe in for, for God to do that. Because the latter rain is going to be greater than the former rain. God is going to do more. God doesn't decrease. He increases and does greater things. He's promised to do. He says, I've called you to do greater things than these. And you have to believe for it. But folks, if I could leave you with anything, don't stay at Kerith. 
Don't stay at the dried up rock praying for rain, asking God to do the old things that he always did in the old ways he always did. Move on into new things in the new ways that God is doing. You've got the trendiest pastor in the valley. I had to make an effort this morning. I, 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 had to, I really had to make an effort with this this morning. I went and bought these for Michael. No, I didn't. But God is doing a new thing. Nobody would have dressed like this 20, 30 years ago. Nobody would have gone to a church and preached like this. But things have changed and times have changed. And some of you still are uncomfortable that I know. I see the look in the eyes in my church when I stand up. There was one pastor years ago who said, you know, if you're doing communion, you shouldn't wear brown shoes. <laughs> Black shoes are anointed, folks. You know, and we have all these traditions and all these things. But God is doing something new. He's doing our perceiver. He's moving. He's working. As me and Luke have been together in AOG events, and we were up in Abergavenny the other week, uh, last week. Fantastic of what God is doing. But you say, I don't have much. It does not matter because your God is big. Your God is big. And so it's not about numbers. It's not about resources. It's not about programs. It's not about what we have. It's about who he is. I heard the word of the Lord. Provision came. Blessing came. Abundance came. And God did a great thing. This widow at Zarephath gave up. But everything changed when God showed up. When God showed up. What we need today is more of his presence amongst us. That's all that we need. Wherever the Holy Spirit flows, it heals, it revives, it transforms. That's all you need. You don't need more of anything. You have what you, what you already have what you need. It just needs to be manifested and poured out in this place. So let's go to Zarephath and let's trust what God is going to do. We're going to have many sticks and we're going to break the two-stick mentality because God is doing great things.